Welcome to the Obey Podcast, where we see through mainstream narrative. No propaganda, no bullshit, just the truth. And now, here's your host, Matthew Keck. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Obey Podcast. Today, I'm going to tackle a broad topic and talk about a few recent examples of it manifesting, and that is the idea of narratives in the U.S. politics being based around race. So, the so um, for, for first off, I want to acknowledge I've been off for a couple weeks. I went on vacation. And I didn't consume a lot of news. And then this was a big week for catching up on news. And now that I'm caught up to date, I thought it was a good time to actually talk about something that happened. And one of the uh, penultimate events that kind of set up this topic was a shooting that happened in Georgia last week. So, and I think this is the most appropriate way to start because I think it covers all the basis if we're going to talk about how race is used as a narrative device to uh, to, to, to kind of discuss U.S. politics. Um, and then the implications of that. And then the reason why I'm even talking about it is because I think there should be a lot of concerns um, for, for, for all people, especially I think people of the left should be even more concerned about this than I am. Um, okay, so let, let, let's get to the facts of the case. So in Georgia, a 21-year-old man, he shot and killed eight people at a few different spas. Um, so he, 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 so, okay, um, he went to three different locations. He killed eight people, six of which were Asian, and allegedly, um, and, and, and to directly re- quote the reporting from the Wall Street Journal, it says, investigators with the Cherokee County Sheriff's Office said in a joint news conference with the Atlanta Police Department on Wednesday that they had yet to find evidence that the shootings were racially motivated. Atlanta Police later released a statement describing the shootings as despicable and atrocious. Quote, our investigation is far from over and we have not ruled out we have not ruled anything out according to the statement. So the, the one of the reasons why this plays into race narratives is because the, there, there, there's been a lot of um, anti-Asian American hate crimes um, in, in the US over the last year because of things like well well I, I think I'm getting ahead of myself um, but, but but because of the coronavirus coming from China people have been typically targeting Asians at a higher rate for crime, and this led to some increased hate crime in a lot of big cities across the U.S. So, the uh, a guy in Georgia goes and kills a bunch of people at spas, and he blames it on his sex di- addiction. So he blamed them for quote for providing an outlet for his addiction to sex. Law enforcement officials said. Okay. So he kills six people that are Asian and then two other people. They, they, they worked at spas. He blames on sex addictions. And there are two camps as a result of, the, of this event. There, there's one camp that, that is calling this a racial uh, event that has to do with things like white supremacy or things like, um, you know, hate crimes against the Asian community. And there's another group that says, no, that he, he even explained how it's about his sex addiction. Um, not everything's a hate crime just because there seems to be more hate crimes against Asian Americans. Um, and it's fueling this conversation that is really just two parties talking past each other. And I, I think it's 
uniquely important to, to talk about why they're talking past each other, how they're talking past each other, and the implications of it, and how that feeds into other things. Okay, so people like me interpret this event as something like, okay, a guy, what was a crazy sex addict who killed six people, or what well, we killed eight people, six of them were Asian women, and he did it because of something sexual in his life, maybe sex addiction. Um, but he's a, he's a crazy guy. He murdered eight people. Um, and he a lot of people who are crazy that murder people, if they're going to do it specifically on the basis of race, they're going to tell you, I did this because I'm a racist. And we, we've, we've seen many events in American history um, you know, explaining that. There was the guy who sh um, shot up the church uh, s several years ago. And it was clearly because he didn't like black people. So a lot of times when people do... Um, killings based on race, they aren't really afraid to tell us why. Um, and it, it seems like it, it could be it could be um, indirectly related because he, he had a sex addiction and he went to a massage parlor where Asian people worked there. So then he targeted them and they were predominantly Asian. But it wasn't because they were predominantly Asian. It's because they worked at massage parlors. Massage parlors just happened to be predominantly Asian. Um, that, 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 that would be my nuanced take on it. And that's why I'd say it wasn't a hate crime and it wasn't racist now other people will, 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 will say will point out and and they, they will point this out not incorrectly that asian women working at massage parlors is a is a stereotype it's a trope and um a lot of stereotypes and tropes are based on are, are based on heuristics in your mind that are assumptions based on race so even if he targeted them for a more personal reason it's still these women are in a role and he's targeting them because their role and their role can be tied to their race. They're, therefore it's racist. Um, so I, 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 I guess what, what I'm trying to get to here is that if you wanted to call this shooting racist or not, it depends how loosely you want to define the word racist. And I think that is the um, key to understanding race narratives in United States politics, especially in the last couple of years, especially just in the last year. So I, I, I think the big concern, especially for people on the left, should be about how we broadened out the term racism and how that, that is going to be used. And, and this is, to some degree, is why the left likes it, um, if, especially if we're talking about people of the left in power or people who are currently seeing it fitting their political agenda. Um, but, but I think this is why they should be concerned for um, in, in the long term or when things maybe aren't going their way. Okay, so 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 why 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 do I say all this? Well, this kind of touches on the broader theme if we're talking about racism getting broadened out um, of equality versus equity. So I mean, uh, if, if you imagine a law about say um, you're not allowed to jaywalk, so, so I, I'm just trying to you know throw, throw out something that is a clear physical event that that is maybe enforceable if somebody wanted to enforce it. You you, you can imagine a cop. Um, you know, s sitting behind a corner, um, and then he knows people usually jaywalk at this one place, and then, you know, even though nobody really in real life enforces jaywalking, you, you can, in this hypothetical, imagine that whenever somebody jaywalks, that cop pops out, and he writes him a ticket. Now, he might write that ticket for every single person that does it, but it might just so happen that 70% of the people who jaywalk there are of a certain ethnicity, um, which could be disproportionate to their re representation in the area. So you could have equality in the sense they treated everybody equally, but you can have an inequity because it's not um, proportional to the races of the people in a certain geographic zone. So sure, you might be enforcing jaywalking and you may be enforcing it to everyone there, but you're doing it in places that are inequitable. 
Um, so that that raised the question: Was that racist? Well, one could say, "Well, he's giving everybody a ticket," and somebody else could say, "Yeah, but it ends up being more black people than white people, or more Asian people than white people, or something like that." Um, so the, the 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 real issue here isn't that inequities aren't an issue potentially, and and it could still be a problem. It's once you turn inequity into a universal problem for all scenarios where you run into sticky territory very quick. And this is kind of what we've seen from talking points of t typically coming from the left over the last, I would say, five years is inequity being the, 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 the true problem that needs to be ironed out. So here, here are some other, I, I guess, more, more contemporary examples what would be when we're talking about, say, job loss due to coronavirus policies. So when businesses shut down in a region because of the, the government instituting things in the names of, you know, stopping the spread of coronavirus, well, I, I obviously, if you've been listening to this podcast, I don't agree with any of those policies. But if the government does that, it usually hurts jobs in the service sector. Well, well, then you can say, okay, well, that means um, if you look at the service sector, usually it's disproportionately mi minority workers. So th then you can say an, an inequity has occurred because you've disproportionately put minority workers out of jobs. And now you have to reconcile. You, you have to reckon with that. Now, was that policy racist? Well, the, the intent of it probably wasn't racist. I would assume that like um, a Democratic governor wasn't trying to put black people out of work intentionally. But maybe I'm being too generous. I know a lot of people are, are happy to call d d Democrats ra racist in design because of things like this. Um, but you, a lot of people, a, a lot of people would probably say, no, they're not racist. It just hasn't an, an um, not, 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 it's not even just an unequal outcome, but, but this, this outcome d isn't, isn't equitable. Okay. So, <laughs> so now if you take that a step further, because of things like that, 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 that inequitable distribution of job loss to the coronavirus, instead of talking about things in through the language of service sectors have been hurt, how do we, how, how do we fix service sectors? Where we're hearing minority communities are hurt, how can we help minority communities? So now policies are being passed, or policies that, that, that are being proposed in the future maybe are being suggested in the name of equity, instead of in the name of helping just say, um, you know, a certain sector of business. So I think, the, I, and in, in the current moment, that whole narrative, that, that, that way of looking at issues through this race-based, equity-based lens is not hurting a lot of people who have leftist policy goals. Because right now, there, there are policies that are being pushed in the name of equity, and those are things that have been on the progressive wish list for years. So currently, the, 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 they, they aren't really paying attention to this. I'm not hearing this talked about most of the time. Um, but instead of hearing about things like I agree for this Paul, uh, I agree on this policy for X, Y, and Z reasons that are, are universal. It's I agree with this policy because it helps the, the, a, a people of a certain skin pigmentation. And a lot of people, if they already agree with that policy proposal, don't even really think twice about whatever the argument it is because maybe they're already for I guess like the fifteen dollar minimum wage or you know a certain type of targeted stimulus. But I could see this becoming a problem um, when, 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 when we start getting into things of the future. Um, I do want to backtrack a little bit because I did. I, I wanted to address a counterargument that I've heard of when we're talking about the language of equity against equality. And um, because equity 
is typically tied to people who are considered social justice warriors, people who are just random people who are a small minority of people who are just like college liberals that um, are really high and mighty about it, but they have no influence and power. And and the, the, the main thing I want to address about that is I do think these people who specifically talk in the language of equity is a very, very small group of people who see the world through a specific lens. But I did want to acknowledge that I think their power is outsized. And, and, the, and the, re- the reason being is because you can see their language, uh, it's seeping into people who are higher levels of government, higher levels of policymaking in ways that is 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 what I find ultimately the most concerning. Okay, so a couple examples of that. Um, I, I saw that uh, Ch- Chairman Powell, when he discusses the Federal Reserve policy of keeping the interest rates low, and this is something I hear on Marketplace all the time, which is a, which is a program produced by American Public Media, um, they always frame it through the lens of race. And they, they talk about keeping interest rates low not, not, not because they want to help, help businesses specifically, but, but they end up coming back to this idea that the hotter the economy is, like if you're getting down to 2% and 3% unemployment rates, at, at the end of that tail, when, when you might be seeing marginal um, improvements, if you look at it too big picture, that, that, that's when they see the lowest like black unemployment. And, and, and the reasoning is pretty simple. It's usually just because black unemployment is usually disproportionately high. So when the labor market tightens, the, the black unemployment rate is usually the last labor market that really tightens. So they're, they're arguing that they should keep interest rates lower for longer because that's what ends up helping black people the most. And I could see somebody arguing that in good faith, but if you think about the consequence of running the economy hotter like that, then you have to, um, and, and if you're a person like me who sees a problem with that, and a lot of mainstream economists still think there is a problem with running zero percent um interest rates indefinitely then it's not just simply oh well here's a racial issue therefore we must do it it's like no there are still all these trade-offs and now that you brought race in the issue it's a sticky issue because now you have to contest something that somebody is now racialized and that's still one of the most taboo things to kind of contest in an honest polite discourse you can't really push back on somebody when they're when they're saying well this is what helps black people the most because now if you say well I, I'm not willing to make that trade-off. Now it sounds like you're not willing to help a whole race of people when that's not really true um, or, or it's oversimplified or it's intentionally framed in a way that makes it toxic to contest. So I, th- th- there was also a piece about how the, the SEC, and I saw this, um, I think I saw this in National Review, but it was directly quoting um, an S- a speech from somebody who works for the SEC. Um, and they, they, their, their mission statement includes certain things that are related to labor markets. And during a speech, they essentially um, said, they, they, they listed off several ways where they need to think about race because a race interacts with labor markets. And they, they've kind of signaled that they're willing to take certain policy um, positions internally in their, in their, um, in their branch or in their, in, in their organization to target racial groups specifically. So somebody might not, might, might not mind this, but the, I can see this easily being co-opted, just like the government co-ops everything, just like every um, organization that's based on something well-intentioned generally gets co-opted. It's kind of like how 
Black Lives Matter can, can, can start with police abuse, but then if you go on their website, it's it's all about um, abolishing capitalism. So it's like, okay, well, you can, you can take an event where somebody was clearly killed unjustly by the police, but once you try to screw that, it's, you try to con- you take this thing that's mostly agreed on by maybe a very, like, like there, there are some single events in the Black Lives Matter narrative that are very popular that a lot of people have seen the video of. And a lot of people um, find police action abhorrent. But then they try to twist these things into saying, okay, well, we also have to abolish capitalism because it's racist. And this is like the Ibram X. Kennedy kind of, um, the Ibram X. Kennedy kind of view. And it's just co-opting the message for, for something completely different. And it's putting a racial spin on it so you can't contest it without being afraid of being seen as racist. And this is why a ton of corporations will, um, you know, offer... Uh, they, they, they will offer internal, well, well, they'll actually usually force people to take classes about racial sensitivity, but they'll also recommend to people that, hey, in, in our company's, um, you know, b- our, 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 our book of the month for, for, you know, for Black History Month is this book. And our book of the month for, month for Women's History Month is this. And it's because they take these, um, they, 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 they take these issues that are clearly polarized but they are framed in a way where you can't really push back on it without potentially being tarred with one of like the most toxic smears in, in, in the discourse. Um, so I guess what I'm getting at is the left is okay with this because it's going towards things they already agree with. So there are a lot of issues that the left um, wants to have action on are being politicized in this way. And I think if you frame things with a racial narrative, it's inherently very, very toxic. Because if I refer back to that, um, shooting we talked about earlier there, there's a way to view it where it's not really about race but there's like a secondary underlying um theme of race that that, that that plays in a woman asian woman working at massage parlors but he didn't target them because they're specifically asian it's kind of indirect but if somebody wants to um talk about it in a way that uh, that is much more broad and they start tying policy issues into it if you disagree with them then they can try to take the moral high ground and dehumanize others as people who are not sensitive about race or racist and this is a pretty toxic political tactic and to some extent i can see why they use it because that's really powerful and this is why stacy abrams and a lot of people who are um you know democrats in the house they're pushing hr1 which is that um expanding voter protections i i would put that in air quotes as i say that um <laughs> um but, but 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 they're framing it through like the lens of all these things that republicans want to do about voting are racist and that and they'll they'll talk about things that are in, inequitable and they'll say therefore it is it is about race and it might not be about race most things are not equitable in general and it can cut and cuts in all kinds of ways you can talk about pretty much anything and you can see that there's it, things are not distributed e- evenly amongst age race and in, in income if you talk about like people who read Stephen King's books I I, th- I think that's not going to fall perfectly proportionally across all groups but so 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 I guess what I'm getting at here is there aren't things that are generally equitable and if you're going to push a policy there's probably an angle of that policy that you can argue um is more preferable to a certain minority class and then you can essentially weaponize toxic narratives because if somebody pushes back on it, then they're pushing back on something that helps the Latinos, right? So I, I think this is just a terrible precedent, but but it's also why it's not just about, oh, social justice warriors on campus are stupid. It's about, look, we, we can see the Fed using this language, and it's not hard to imagine that other agencies in the government or, or people who are running um, you know, certain uh, election 
people who are running in certain for, for certain offices are going to start weaponizing this type of language or they, they kind of already are to some extent but it's going to be something that we're going to see more and more widespread we're going to hear more and more on economic issues and we're going to hear more and more on things that aren't just about crime or like legalization of drugs um it's going to be all about income and all about health care and that, that's all people are going to be talking about um and, and it's really dishonest um, and it's, it's kind of straight out of how I mentioned like rules for radicals. It's just a manipulation tactic and it's just about framing it in a way that'll make more people sympathetic to what you believe. Um, okay. <laughs> so that was a bit of a tangent. Um, and I think I got my, I got my message across, but, but, but this, this is why when like, I listen to people like Dave Rubin who are talking about critical race theory and they're, 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 they're criticizing all these, like, uh, all, all the, all the people at the worst takes they're missing that, like. The Federal Reserve is using, using this language. We should be talking about how the Federal Reserve is using this language and how it, and how it's very concerning. Because like I get wanting to lower block unemployment, you know, in our next boom from four percent to three point five percent. But you have to remember that you're fueling an asset bubble for an extra eight months. And what does that mean? And and this is why you can't really get an honest conversation out of our democratic process because people who have ends that they want to get to are willing to frame things in the most advantageous way to get it. Um, it's inevitable. It, it, it's, it's what always happens. Um, and the, this is really just another example in the end of that. Um, and, and as, as we, um, recoil from, well, that's, that's really bad. <laughs> that's a really bad choice of words. Um, as we bounce back from like the, 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 sh the shooting that took place that, um, where, where a guy killed a bunch of people from a certain minority group, we're going to see people be reframing this in racial issues. And it's not going to be long until we hear certain policies about gun control be being used in racial, in, in, um, and in racialized ways, because you can talk about the people who are buying guns rapidly being from a certain race group, but then they're going to start talking about how certain victims are from are, are disproportionately outsized um, in, their, in their group. So then if you're against gun control, then you want more, you know, black shooting victims or something like that. Um, so things are only going to get more toxic. And, and to some degree, I, I, I guess I'm talking about this in a kind of sad way, because, oh, oh, no, we, we can't have an honest discussion. Um, but as our as our dialogue gets more towards everybody's racist and um, everybody hates each other, it's just kind of making the case for itself that there's no reason why we should live in the same country as these people we perceive as racist. There's no reason why we should have a democratic process where they have the same type of as of voices as the 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 the, the holy NPR listener has, um, and and it just undermines democracy in the end when you have these things that are massively polarizing. So, and, and, and there, there's a kernel of truth, because if you don't agree with people on policies, it is kind of silly that they get to force them on you anyways. And the, the, that's even the base democracy that would hypothetically work. It's, it's still kind of silly. But, but when you have polarization like this, it just, it just shows how ridiculous everything is. Um, so, so, so I guess in a collapsitarian kind of way, or at least like a peaceful secessionist kind of way, the, 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 when the discourse gets worse, I do get a little optimistic. Um, so, so, so I will say that for people who are kind of of my ilk that are listening, um, you, you do have to, you do have to look at it through that way. Um, okay. I, I don't think I said anything that insightful here, but, but I did want to tie together a few things I've just been perceiving and, um, and, and just put people on watch because, because in the end, this is a propaganda tactic and you want to remind yourself what tactics people are using so you can watch out for their propaganda, um, because people want to manipulate you. And, um, a lot of it is about controlling voters. And, mo and then mobilizing them and getting them to care about things that they probably don't even have a good reason to care for, and their vote probably doesn't matter that much anyways, but if you get them fired up and passionate, maybe they'll get 10 more people to vote on it. Um, so yeah, you need to recognize that propaganda, and you need to really 
you need to um, investigate the truth on your own. Um, I think that's all I can recommend. Um, if you enjoyed this episode, you can check out the backlog and other episodes where I um, complain about similar things. <laughs> you can also find me on another podcast, which is Beyond Talking Points, where me and my co-host, and he's more of a lefty. We, we, he might resent being called a lefty, but, but he's, he's kind of a lefty. We, we, we argue things out. Um, we, we, we end up doing kind of back and forths for about an hour about all kinds of issues um, ranging from politics to philosophy. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at The Obey Podcast or at Matthew T. Keck, where I usually am uh, using profanity against politicians that want to take away my rights and liberties. Um, that's predominantly what I do there. I'm not usually trying to be particularly civil, but if you engage with me, I'll probably engage back. It's always a fun time. <laughs> okay, guys. Well, for now, sign off. And, and, and once again, I appreciate your listening, um, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. So sign off for now. It's Matthew Kick. Thank you. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave a rating or review on your favorite podcatcher or share the podcast with a friend. You can find out more information about the Obey podcast at anchor.fm slash Obey podcast or on Twitter at the Obey podcast. Until next time. Next time.